this is Steve Balton. You are tuned into My Turning Point with special guest Mike Kerr from the band Royal Blood. This is one of the great live bands in the world, and I hope that as soon as they are back out on the road, you do not miss the chance to see them. They have put on some incredibly epic performances. I've seen them at Life is Beautiful, The Viper Room. Doesn't matter the size of the place, they just kill it. But today I talked with Mike about the band's new album, Typhoons, working with Josh Homie from Queens of the Stone Age, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. Dude, so where are you today? I am actually in London today, believe it or not. I usually uh, live in Brighton. How is it in London today? It's busy, man. People are finally sort of semi-set free from their prisons, being their own homes. Yes. Are you, are you guys nearing this point of live music and stuff? You know what? We can see it on the horizon, but um, I'm trying not to get my hopes up as we've been let down so many times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny here. Well, you know, they just recently announced Life is Beautiful Festival, where, of course, I saw you guys do a very iconic set. And in fact, we talked about that in the past. So it's funny. I mean, people here are losing their shit for it. Dude, that festival sold out 50,000 tickets in 39 minutes. Man, that's crazy. People are so excited for it, you know? Yeah, there's an appetite, man. There's been, uh... I know. So how you been spending your time? Was this record was this record done pre-COVID or was this done during the pandemic? Um, sort of created, like, it began before, and I think about halfway through, that's when... Um, the pandemic hit and we ended up actually making the record at home ourselves which is why it's a self-produced record okay well self-produced but i know you did the one song with josh correct or were there more songs with josh and um, just well there's there's actually a couple of songs um one of them's called space which is on the deluxe version of the record um, okay and then the other track is called boiler Maker, which actually came out yesterday yeah that was the one i was referring to because I have not heard right. the deluxe record. I haven't heard the deluxe version of the record yet. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it was a great experience, man. Obviously, we're big fans, and we've toured together for so long. It was it just felt like a very natural progression, you know. Well, now it's really interesting, you know, for you guys, especially when you get to like it's a self-produced record, you know. But then you work with Josh, who, as you say, you toured with Benny many times, and you've known for a while. You know, so talk about sort of that, um, I don't know, what he brought to the table in terms of, you know, having that someone else to bounce the ideas off of compared to the rest of the record. So it was the first track we did for the record. So it really kind of set the bar and set the tone for the rest of the album. Um, that Getting that first song done is always the hardest one, you know. It's like that first gear of starting to make a record so um it, it was a great start and i think his energy is brilliant he uh he just creates such a fun atmosphere i think sometimes the studio can be quite a serious place and um working with him he just reminded us to have fun while making music you know which is um i think you can hear that on the rest of the album you know we're having a lot of fun it's so funny. Uh, my, my, my great Josh story is there was one point where this was back in 2000, 
six, I want to say it was, they were doing a, um, whatchamacallit, uh, oh, there was a benefit that was being put on for the victims of the tsunami in Thailand. And I was covering for Rolling Stone and I was interviewing Grohl in the dressing room. And Josh at that point was very anti-press. Josh is still mostly anti-press as a lot of artists are. But so he really was like, did not want to talk, did not want to talk. And between us, he seemed kind of annoyed that I was in the dressing room. But Dave is a good friend. And Grohl kept goading him into talking. Like he was talking about him like he wasn't there, just laughing while he was doing it. And Josh finally fucking started cracking up and joined in. Because, you know, who can say no to Grohl? He actually had a great sense of humor about it. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, Dave Grohl is a funny guy. Well, it's funny, too, because I think that, you know, for Josh, I mean, obviously, you know, as an artist, you get to see a very, very different side of him. So talk about, you know, what that level of fun was that he brought in the studio and how you then carried that over to the rest of the record. And by the way, it's funny because I've been doing this lately because, you know, obviously you and I know each other. We've talked multiple times. You know, I'm a big fan, you know, so it's like, but before we come on to the record again, tell me what your sort of turning point was that led you guys to where you are today the Royal Blood sort of, or Mike Kerr turning point, because it could be personal as well. I think um, there was sort of many, you know, I guess the main couple for me was the first time I saw Ben play drums. Um, that's the first time we ever met was he was on stage and I was, in, I walked in and it was a college band night and I just knew that's the guy I had to, kind of conquer the world with and I was only 15 16 but watching him drum I it was like I'd met my match and I I knew that I had to be in a band with him um and to be honest with you, we, we played together for a couple of years and we had a bit of a break so I did some traveling and when I came back the second turning point was really when we got back in a room together and I was playing bass and I had the sounds that I created it that was the moment I knew it was almost like we'd buckled up and got in the rocket ship and we're ready to launch into outer space. All right, so when was that? How long ago was that? So our, our first get-together after a bit of a break, I guess, was 2012. Nice, okay. And it's so funny, when you look at that sort of that, that you know, as you put it, when Ben you know, was your match <laughs> as you bring that to the new record and that idea of, you know, like that, that sort of, you know, I mean, talk about how you guys have sort of grown together musically. And I mean, look, I've heard the record. One of the things I love about it, it's so different. You know, I think what's really cool about it is the fact that you guys really branch out musically on this, but not in the sense of losing the Royal blood sound. So it's like that sort of gritty Royal blood sound. Then you have songs like Typhoon and Limbo that are just more, you know, that have more of an upbeat energy going back to what you were talking about with Josh, you know, making the record more fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I think this record was also just about allowing uh, every influence we had to make its way onto our songs. Um, I feel like before we perhaps restricted ourselves a little bit, um, or not so restricted ourselves, but censored perhaps certain bands and songs we liked that we felt didn't really fit into our world. So it was fun to kind of use a much broader palette to make songs with, if that, if that makes sense. 
Oh, absolutely. So it's interesting for you. Was there, you mentioned that Boilermaker was the first song done for the record. Was that the first song written for the record as well? It was, yeah. And you know what? There was a big break between that song and the rest of the record. Um, I actually got sober in the middle of making Boilermaker. And I realized that I had to kind of take a break from music in order to kind of piece myself back together, you know? I'd been right. partying and partying and touring for about eight years. And uh, it took me about eight months, to be honest with you, before I got back in the studio. Um, so that's why there was such a break. So it's so interesting for you. I mean, it's funny. I've talked about this with, you know, um, I mean, well, shit, I've talked about this with, you know, everyone from Ozzy Osbourne and Alice Cooper too. As I mentioned, Duff talking about getting sober. It was always so interesting. Ozzy, when I spoke with him, uh, he mentioned that Black Rain was the first album in his life he made sober. And honestly, he said he was terrified because he didn't know if it was going to be any good. So as you started coming out of, you know, the break and making this record, were you at all, were, like, how did you approach making it sober? Did it change things for you? Did you feel more present? Did you enjoy it more? Like, it was, again, uh, yeah, it, I, t- I totally relate to Ozzy's thing. You know, it, I was terrified in the same way. I was like, am I going to be able to do this? And if I am, oh, this one's going to be any good. But you know what? After a, after a couple of songs in, it's like I've got my mojo back. And it was awesome. I, I felt like I was able to use all of my brain, you know, and I just felt sharper making these songs. And I, um, and for the first time in a long time, I was able to trust my decision making, which is incredibly important if you're creative for a living. Um, so yeah, it, it was amazing, actually. Now, it's interesting for you as well. What was the first song done then? Post, like what was the first song done sober? Trouble's Coming. Okay. And to be honest with you, that song wasn't easy. I, I really had to hit my head against the wall for quite a long time. But once it was finished, everything after that became second nature. And like songs like Typhoons, you know, we wrote and recorded them in like three days, which is really quick for us. So that's it. That literally from it not existing to being completely finished as, to, as you hear it now. Um, and same with Limbo, you know, it was just, it was like we were fluent in the language of making the record, you know? Well, now it's interesting for you then as well. I mean, did you find as well that once you got into it, so what you say after Trouble's Coming, which was the first one made sober, then everything sort of opened up. At that point, did the rest of the material come in sort of a shorter burst or was it, it something? Oh, okay, go ahead. It Sorry. did. So as soon, as soon as Trouble's Coming was done, I think we spent a year making the record and then it was done. So, yeah, beginning to end, it was a year, you know, really. It's really funny, though, because you say you can identify with Ozzy's thought. And I'm thinking about it now as well. I spoke with Adam Clayton from U2 maybe, I don't know, a couple months ago for the 40th anniversary or the 30th anniversary of Octane Baby, which was also the first record made sober. And, you know, we talked about how that changed for him as well. For you, do you feel like now when you look back on this record, you have a different appreciation for it? Or maybe that you have a, like I said, going back to being more present, do you feel like you have a better understanding of the record or you were just more immersed in it? Or there's a deeper appreciation because this was such a milestone record for you? Yeah, I, I, um, 
the way I see this record is, yeah, it, it represents a, the change in my life, you know, and it's nice. It, that's kind of how I see it. It's like a relic to me. And, um, yeah, I think it, it, for the rest of my life, it, I'll have this album to remind me of where I've come from um, and the position I'm in now. So it's interesting for you. Are there, when you go back and listen to it, are there, are there songs that you feel like, you know, you have a different appreciation for, or like, do you, cause writing is always such a um, sort of writing is always such a subconscious thing, right? Do, when you go back and listen to this, are there things that emerge in the writing of the record that surprise you? Yeah. You know what? It's there's, there's that still happens with songs on my first album, where there's like a lyric or a moment in a, song where I realize what my subconscious was trying to tell me if that makes sense I feel like yeah. I feel like some of these new songs though you know I felt confident enough to be a lot more direct so perhaps they're a little less mysterious in that sense I knew exactly what I was saying and the situations I was in I knew I'm referring to pretty clearly and succinctly so um, but I think as time passes on, I'll probably realize how how dark some of these places were, you know? You only realize how dark a moment of your life is until you're out of it. Well, it's funny then, going back to the first record, when you say that, I mean, and the other thing, of course, too, is that, look, for all artists, as I talk about all the time, you change. Your life change. You have different experiences. So, of course, the things that, you know, you were thinking in the first record, you're now 10 years later not just sober. I'm sure you've had many relationships. You've had, you know, experiences touring the world with all these different people. You have a very different perspective. So are there songs then that, you know, you have a different appreciation for or that really stand up for you? Like, and it's also interesting taking it out of the fact that it's been over a year of no touring. Are there earlier songs that you just can't wait to fucking play live again? Oh, absolutely. There's, um, there's a song on our second record called Hook, Line and Sinker, which, um, yeah, it just reminds me of, I guess it was like, at that. I wrote it on tour and we were, we were just living the dream, man. And that, that song for me just reminds me of just going for it, man. We were just partying really hard and just being crazy and playing rock shows. And yeah, that song for me just reminds me of that. That's funny when you say living the dream. When you look back on it now, and, and it's interesting too. Obviously, you worked with Josh on this record. You've gotten to tour with so many artists. I mentioned the you know Life is Beautiful Festival. Are there artists that you really admire or that you learned a lot from in the way that they've been able to evolve and grow and bringing it to this record? You know, being able to you know branch out and make a difference. Now, of course, I mentioned you too. They're sort of iconic at doing that. But I mean, also, you know, we mentioned Grohl. Well, it's funny. Foos don't really change their sound. They just are who they are. Similar to how, you know, I was joking about it with Slash once that, you know, ACDC have one song. It just happens to be a great fucking song, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But are those um, artists that, I, that for you, you really love the way they've evolved and grown? Totally. I think Tame Impala, um, for me, have been a great example of you know, evolving quite quickly and rapidly over a short, you know, every record seems to be a bold step forwards. And um, if you were to listen to their latest record and their first record, you know, they would 
really sound different, but it's the journey you can hear in those in-between records that I think is so natural and uncontrived, you know? And um, so I, I definitely take inspiration from the artistry of Kevin Parker. Get up, Kev. <laughs> All right. So, you know, it's funny, bringing this record to the stage, bringing Typhoons to the stage, and I've always referred to it as this record because I suck with titles because I just listen to everything all the way through. But thinking of bringing Typhoons to the stage, you know, are there there are moments from this album that you are particularly... Because also the other thing about it too is right when you play a record, when you play a song live, it changes. The audience, you get to feel the audience response. You get to hear the audience response. It becomes a visceral thing, especially with your sound. It's funny. I know you guys did a thing a while back with Alison Hagendorf from Spotify, who's a friend of mine. And we were then talking on social media about that Viper Room show and how iconic that was. And you look at a place like that where you're literally in the middle of the crowd in the Viper Room. So you can see everybody's response. When you think about that, are there songs from Typhoon that you really can't wait to see how people respond? Yeah, you know, we've been playing the, the title track, Typhoons, obviously, um, to no one. But it feels so good live and has such an atmosphere. I think that's a track that I think, especially at festivals, I think it's going to be just, it's going to set such a vibe, man. And that's the one we're, we're looking forward to. Nice. Any other ones off the album? Or, or you know, it's funny. I mean, obviously, you know, because again, it's yeah, typical. Think- like it- Oh, go ahead. Um, I think Limbo has become like our new closer, even though we haven't played a show yet. But I just see like, we've always been looking for a new song to close the set. And I think that's just going to be a real finale. It's funny for you guys. I mean, again, we've talked about, you know, I mentioned the Viper Room show and, you know, I mean, you know, so much of your, your, following has been made in the live setting for you what are the best shows like do you remember being a kid that first show that you went to that you were just like holy fuck yeah it's quite a few but my first show was actually Goldfrap in brighton i'm a massive Goldfrap fan and that just blew my mind her voice was just unbelievable um queens of the stone age at reading and leeds that was a massive moment um and I once saw uh, Jack White's headline show when I was in Australia. Um, he played at Splendor in the Grass, which was just unbelievable. It was just balls to the wall, rock and roll. Nice. It's, is there one artist that you haven't shared a stage with yet that you just think would be a blast to play with? Just for fun. Not necessarily because you think you would be like, oh, okay, this is going to help us in any way, shape, or form. But just because you think like, you know what? As a fan and as someone we're friends with, it would be awesome to just get out and do like a, you know, a show with. I think um, that band Jungle, who we're good friends with, um, we've always loved the idea of doing something together. So I think, yeah, I vote Jungle. You know those guys? Oh, absolutely. I fucking love those guys. Great band, great guys. It's interesting too, because I did an hour long thing last year with Run the Jewels, who you did something with as well. And I like the fact you mentioned Gold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are great guys too. I'm sure you had a blast hanging out with them as well. Or was the whole thing done remotely? It was actually done remotely, but we know those guys pretty well. And it is always a blast. Uh, It's funny how, you know, with different artists, I've spoken about this over the years with so many people, there are different bonding experiences. Like I go all the way back to Warp Tour 2006, when Gerard Way and I were talking about the fact that, you know, 
everybody on like there was like a D contingent on warp which you never would have expected you know then of course there is the partying there's you know food is a big thing as well so take me through two of yours for you guys what was sort of the first bonding experience with jungle because i absolutely love those guys what's sort of like the when you guys are hanging out together we met on a uh, a tour around australia um some reason I just can't remember the name of the festival, but it's basically a traveling festival that goes around Australia and New Zealand. And um, so we just got to hang out every night. And I think, you know, with them being a two piece, you're sort of every time you meet another two piece, you're just like immediate friends, you know? <laughs> right. We, you have something in common. And we just hit it off like a house on fire. And, um, yeah, they're just great guys, man. I think they, we all share the exact same sense of humor, which is very goofy and very dark. And what about with Run the Jewels? Because those guys, man, they're into everything from food and cannabis to, you know, I did a story with them on actual, you know, businesses. I mean, everything. Yeah, I mean, super clever guys. And uh, just so funny, man. Like, I bumped into those guys in, uh, again, just on the festival circuit and a bunch of times in New York. And um, again, it, it must be a two-piece thing. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go in a second, but I am curious. I mean, so so <laughs> let's have some fun with this. If you create the, the ultimate two-piece super group and you and Jungle and Run the Jewels combine into one awesome, you know, sextet for a night, What's the one song that you guys do together? The all-star sort of song that you guys would, you would have loved to do with them. You and Jungle and Run the Jewels in one giant supergroup. Oh, wow. Um, so it's going to be a cover, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because it'd be fun if it's like, you know, that iconic sort of classic. You know, remember back in the days when you had the benefits, like the big benefits where you would have like Springsteen and U2. And at oh, the end of the yeah. night, they would... They would end with like a Bob Marley song or a John Lennon song or something. I think, so what's that, I think you know? One Vision by Queen. Nice. Why that one? Just because if all three of us play together, it's going to be a big show. So we need a big, we need a song that's uh, able to cover some ground. And I don't think Queen ever struggled with that. So I'm going to go with One Vision. Oh, I don't think Queen ever thought, I don't think Queen ever struggled with that either. But it's funny because obviously when you're talking about Queen, there are so many iconic songs. That's why it's like, it's all, it's like, how do you choose the one? That's why it's kind of like one vision, why that one as opposed to, you know, I mean, you could go with anyone. It's funny. I think one of my favorite Queen songs still going back to the early days because it's just such a fucking big rock song is Sheer Heart Attack. Oh, of course. Of course. That would be good. I think any Queen song. But so why did you choose one vision? Because I know the jungle guys would just smash the harmonies um and i think we with run the jewels on board i know we could seriously fuck it up as well and mess with it and make it our own and also i know ben would just love drumming along to that song all right well it's it's interesting the record comes out april 30th again you don't want to get your hopes up too much in terms of live music but is there a timeline at this point to come to the states now that things are opening up here a bit I'm hoping we can come this year, but... Yeah, you know, it's funny because, I mean, I think it's one of those weird, interesting things, and we'll wrap up on this note, that, you know, in a hiatus, you never know how people are going to respond. I look back to talking about it with, you know, because I do a lot of stuff in the electronic world as well, 
And when Daft Punk took five years between records and then became the biggest band in the world. And no one could have predicted that. You can't plan that. You know, it's very simply something like either people miss you or they don't. And you can't control that. But it's interesting. Yesterday, I interviewed Carly Simon, Robbie Krieger, Greta Van Fleet. Tomorrow, I'm interviewing Linkin Park. Friday, I'm interviewing Moby. So these are pretty iconic artists. These are mega artists. I was telling my friend my schedule for the week. I listed all the interviews I was doing this week. She's like, oh my God, I love Royal Blood. Oh my God, I love them. And started freaking out out of all of those artists. And it's interesting how there is like this demand sort of in a way that grew for you guys while you were gone. Have you picked up on that? And what do you say to these people who are just like, can't wait for you guys to come back? Oh man, I feel so lucky to be missed because you're right. It's not something you can control. And to be honest with you, I didn't realize... I didn't realize we were missed until we came back. <laughs> um, I think once we started dropping these new songs, I was like, oh, wow, people really like us. This is great. Um, so, yeah, I just feel really grateful, man. And um, I can't wait to get, him, get, get on stage and play a show. That's so funny, though, too, that you say that about not realizing you're missed. Because obviously you're making music, you're in the midst of a bubble. So was there a first moment for you where you realized people miss you? Um, I think it was when... Troubles coming drops is that first song, you know, and seeing the response from fans. Because honestly, we thought we'd made something pretty challenging for anyone that had liked us before. We thought we were expecting to lose like 50% of the audience. <laughs> and we put it out and it was like, oh, I think we alienated like 5%. And we we're like, that's way better than what we thought, you know? Right. All right. Well, and then of course you pick back up 5%. Cool. By the way, too, it's funny because I mentioned the, the Life is Beautiful set and the song that still blows me away. I don't know if it's staying in the set list, but when you come back to LA, I'm putting the request in for One Trick Pony. Is that one staying in? Oh, mate, that's so funny you say that because we were literally thinking the other day of opening up on that track. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, that be the sickest song, opener? Yeah. <laughs> cool. What do you want to add that we did not talk about? Um, that's it, man. I think, I think we've nailed it. As always, right. always a pleasure. Yeah. Sick. Cool, dude. Good talking to you, and we'll see you hopefully in the States this year. Nice one, man. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Mike Kerr from Royal Blood. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.